like a lot of people don't have jobs. And we, we are here just because we need it. Help on hold more relief money in limbo. I'm asking Congress to amend this bill and increase the ridiculously low $600 to $2,000. A shot at hope. I want to make sure that you know, they know I'm protected, but I put a little less worry. Vaccinations well underway. We want to try to deploy as much vaccine as possible. For Florida, a line in the sand. Our whole strategy around COVID has always recognized the dramatic discrepancy and risk based on age. COVID comes home for the holidays, curfews go to court, South Florida businesses beg for balance. The one night of partying is not worth what can happen to you. We've experimented with shutdowns and curfews and and, uh, and they really don't work. It's all this week, this week in South Florida. Good morning, I'm Glenna Milberg. Michael is off this morning. Welcome to This Week in South Florida, the year-end edition of a surreal year. Do we slow down here during the holidays? No, we do not, especially with more federal help now on hold and the local vaccine rollout and the debate over balancing safety and sparing business. And we begin with critical help on hold. The relief bill the president now has at Mar-a-Lago and signs he may not sign it, Congresswoman Debbie Wasserman Schultz, Democrat from Weston, is live with us via Skype today. Good morning, Congresswoman. Happy holidays to you and yours. Good morning, Glenna. Happy holidays to you and everyone watching. Appreciate you being here, spending time with us this morning. And so the obvious question now is, as of last night, as of this morning, help, federal help, unemployment for nationally 14 million people, so many of them right here in South Florida, has expired. Uh, this $900 billion bill with a lot of pots of money for help is on hold. From your perspective, where, where does this stand now and is there a plan B? Well, what President Trump has done is prioritize his desire to be the center of attention so that the entire last few days he has been the focal point and left millions and millions of Americans in limbo. Their unemployment assistance has expired. He's denying people rental assistance, that denying them vital direct stimulus payments, all in the name of something that he could have and should have done when he had his advisors sit down with congressional leaders and negotiate the details of not only the COVID relief package, but the entire federal budget. And, and now he's thrown all of that assistance into chaos. And tomorrow we will go back into session because he's vetoed the National Defense Authorization Act. And we will not only have a vote to override his veto, but we will also, while we're there, vote to call the president and Republicans bluff and see if they will support $2,000 direct stimulus payments, which I support and Democrats have supported all along. Well, let's let's talk about that because that is the headline, those direct payments to people, uh, 600 each is in the bill. And then we saw the president, in fact, we aired some of his sound in the headlines, wanting a lot more. Having not been part of the negotiations, I think, you know, at, to your point, a lot of people were surprised to see him come out like that. But sort of irony to some of us is that that's what Democrats wanted all along. And so now the Republicans in the House and Senate are sort of the ones that are saying, well, the president is asking too much. I mean, there's such there's such irony there. But but I want to take you back really to the whole bill, because that is a component of it. The whole bill is like 5,600 pages, and one of the big 
criticisms about it is that it it just wasn't enough time for congressmen and women to read it. What, did you read it? Did you read the fine print? And, and do you think that's a valid criticism? Well, I'm a member of the House Appropriations Committee. And what is important to understand is that we didn't just pass the COVID relief bill. That 5,600 pages was the entire federal budget and the COVID relief bill. So combined, yes, it was very lengthy. Members of Congress over the last months, as we've been working on the budget, have had a lot of time to delve into the details in the budget. We passed all of those bills out of the House of Representatives. The Senate passed legislation. And now we got to work conferencing, again, a process that the president was nowhere to be found. And then, as Congress often does, we amended the COVID relief bill onto the budget legislation so that that 5,600 pages is the budget and the COVID relief bill. And it's important to note that not only has the president thrown COVID relief assistance to small businesses, to renters, to employers, to individuals who desperately need help, but he's also essentially throwing us on the brink of government shutdown, all in the name of $2,000 for, for, for stimulus payments, which is really important. And I will put my vote up tomorrow when we have that vote on the floor. And let's see if the Republicans join him, because it is important that we get them that assistance. But it's also important that we make sure that we get the COVID relief assistance to our small businesses and get that economic shot in the arm that is so essential that this bill represents. I think to your point, a lot of people are asking, and I know this is kind of standard operating procedure in Congress, but it doesn't make sense to a lot of Americans, why those bills were combined in the first place, because pandemic relief is so critical and so standalone. And, and there are things in that bill, besides of the really critical and worthy things that you just mentioned, there are things in the bill that, that raise a lot of eyebrows to critics, um, components of foreign aid and loans to businesses who may have already gotten loans that become grants that they don't have to pay back and also don't have to pay taxes on. And, you know, these are things that may or may not be huge in, in the grand scheme of this bill, but a lot of people are raising eyebrows and wondering why those things are holding up the components that are really important. You want to hear some irony, Glenna? Some of the things that President Trump listed as being outrageous to him that were part of the federal budget, again, through the COVID relief bill and the budget being combined, were actually items that he asked for in his own budget. For example, the assistance to Egypt and the Egyptian military, he asked for $1.3 billion for assistance in Egypt. And that is what is in the federal budget that was part of that legislation that we passed. He asked for $40 million in his budget request for assistance for the Kennedy Center budget. And we have $40 million in the federal budget that is part of that combined COVID relief bill and the budget. Right, so, so I guess the, that the goes back to, to my question, per permit me to interrupt just a moment, but that goes back to the question, why not create a standalone COVID relief bill? There was a standalone COVID relief bill and members had an opportunity throughout the process to contribute to it. And the way the legislative process works is that we might negotiate items separately, but we combine them so that we can make sure that we can gain the critical votes we needed to make sure that we can pass the federal budget as well as the COVID relief bill. But let's set that aside for a second. 
President Trump's chief complaint, he says, is that the stimulus payments were not enough. He was completely absent during the negotiations. His own Treasury Secretary negotiated the $600 stimulus payments. Democrats believed that wasn't enough. And the bill was sent to his desk. Tomorrow, we can hopefully override uh, the, the veto of the National Defense Authorize, Authorization Act. But President Trump needs to sign this bill and then urge his Republican colleagues to support the legislation that we will put on the floor tomorrow to increase the payments to $2,000. Both are possible, and then we can get rid of this uncertainty, provide the vital COVID relief that small businesses and renters and, and pe people need to make sure we can get vaccine distribution kick-started into, into higher gear. And we can also make sure that we provide Americans with $2,000 in direct stimulus payments. Both are possible, and that's what Republicans should support tomorrow, and they have the opportunity to do that. Real quickly, um, we are learning this morning that this new strain, a mutation of COVID-19 found in the UK may also be in other countries, possibly in this country. Do you know something that you might share with us about that? Uh, my understanding is what we've heard from Dr. Fauci, which is that he think, he suspects it's likely that there is, uh, you know, that 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 strain here in the United States already, but uh, but but also that very likely the vaccine is effective in eradicating that uh, that strain of the virus. There's there are more studies being done on it, but but Glenn, I want to I want to just also touch quickly on the fact that the president vetoed the entire National Defense Authorization Act, and tomorrow we will vote uh, we will have a vote to override that that veto. I will cast my vote to override it. I urge my Republican colleagues who voted overwhelmingly for that bill to make sure the members of our military have the opportunity for a pay raise, to make sure that we don't throw our national defense into chaos. We've had 55 years straight of passing a National Defense Authorization Act, and we need to make sure that we don't lose that opportunity and make sure that our long overdue pay raise for our members of our military is able to go through. That vote in the House tomorrow, the vote in the Senate uh, for that is on Tuesday, that uh, defense bill passed by a large bipartisan margin. So that'll you know, be uh, something we're watching. Because he wants to make sure that traitors to our country who have ba military bases named after them from the Confederacy are able to keep the names on those bases. I think, well, and I know that's, and, and I know that's one of the components, right. but there are a few others that I wish we had time to go into, um, and certainly maybe next Sunday we can tackle that subject. Congresswoman Debbie Wasserman Schultz, so yeah, great to see you. Happy New Year to you, Thank and thanks you. again. Thank you. Take care. Bye-bye. And next up, the view from the top locally as South Florida starts another year in pandemic mode. All three South Florida County's mayors are Skyping in right now and our virtual roundtable with them is... What do Miami-Dade, Broward, and Monroe counties have in common besides almost everything, especially in the struggle to help South Florida residents and businesses get through layers of hardship brought on by the pandemic? Today, in what could be a This Week in South Florida first, we have all the county mayors with us for a collaborative conversation about where we are and where we're going with that. Miami-Dade Mayor Daniela Levine-Cava, Broward Mayor Steve Geller, and Monroe Mayor Michelle Coldiron all took those lead roles in their respective counties last month, all inherited COVID-complicated governments present and future. It is so much fun to have you all together this morning. Hi. Good morning. Good morning, Glenda. 
So hello, um, good morning. Good morning. So um, we have we're encompassing all of our viewers and wherever they live in South Florida today. And this week we are talking about the vaccinations and where it's going and when. And I want to start there if we could. Um, it is a state distribution. The supply in the state comes from Tallahassee, distributed to the hospitals, both public and private, all over the state. Uh, right now, the those hospitals have the discretion. Uh, to farm out and to inoculate people based on the governor's executive order. So those are the first medical frontliners and the elderly over 65 is in the emergency order. Sorry to take so long to get this out, but just want to just want to say that there is only one hospital we know of that is going out to the community's elderly Mount Sinai Medical Center in Miami Beach. So Daniela Levine-Cava, let me start with you. What can people expect the county's involvement to get those vaccines out from the hospitals that have them right now, especially police and firefighters and teachers and the people who deal with public every day. Yeah, thank you so much, Glenna, for this important conversation. And let me say that we do have in the county a certain supply that was given to prioritize our first responders, specifically our uh, firefighters that are on the front line of rescue. And uh, we have those doses. Uh, they will be offered to the firefighters countywide, so including the cities that have uh, fire departments. And after that, the county is going to follow the governor's guidelines and focus on older people uh, and, and vulnerable people until those vaccines are used up. And who does um, that? Is that? Is that Jackson, the public hospital? Is that the Department of Health? How does that work? That is being administered directly by our fire department. So this is a, a you know secure pod they call it uh, for the firefighters. They have started already getting the vaccine, and then as I say, for whatever uh, is left after that, we're going to come up with a plan uh, for prioritization. Now, uh, also I will say, Larkin Hospital has started distributing, and on their website they have uh, scheduling for appointments. So. As I, as far as I know, it's Mount Sinai and Larkin. Steve Geller, how about Broward? Well, actually, um, in Broward, it's distributed by the Broward County Health Department, which is called the Broward County Health Department, but it's really the Florida Department of Health located in Broward County. There has been a allotment to Memorial Hospital or the Memorial Hospital District, South Broward Hospital District. Um, but the distribution uh, is really being run by the Florida Department of Health located in Broward County. Broward County is making available to the Florida Department of Health any logistic help that they need, including uh, using our parks, using any other locations that they need. We have established a method for dealing with inbound, uh, excuse me, a homebound seniors and uh, other people that are homebound, and we've made that available to the Florida Department of Health as well. And is it? And is by the it way, as in, quickly, yeah, the three of us all know each other from serving on the South Florida Regional Planning Council. So yes, the three indeed. mayors are all old friends. Well, that, that's good to know because it's hard to do a collaborative conversation on Skype. So feel free to jump right in, anybody, if you want to. Um, and, and since South Florida really does not know borders, just like pandemics know no borders, Michelle Coldiron, um, you know, you have a little bit of a different situation being small. And I remember the roadblocks went up. You can secede from the union if you want to temporarily. <laughs> what, what's the situation? Has anybody opened up to Keys residents vaccinations for the for the elderly Keys residents yet? 
So you brought up a good point that we are a small county, you know, a chain of islands that completely depend upon our neighbors in the north. And Mayor Cava and uh, Mayor Geller and I do serve together on the South Florida Regional Council and talk about a lot of issues that are important for our county and our, our state alike. And likewise, with this pandemic, we have been in constant contact with our neighbors up north um, for the distribution of this vaccine. As uh, the other mayor said, this is a top-down push and Monroe County is in constant contact with the Department of Health and with the state of Florida on when those vaccines are going to be delivered to us here in Monroe County. But you have my hospitals that have it now, do you not? That, that's kind of my question, the hospitals have it. And so because it's up to the yeah. hospitals to distribute it, how, how do you get them to get it out there? So well, currently our partnership, our hospitals, because we remember we're, we're small, we have um, a hospital in Key West, we have one in Marathon and one in, in um, Tavernier, and the, the two in the, the upper and middle keys are Baptist facilities. And so they are relying on the regional support from the Baptist system. My understanding is the lower keys hospital, which again, it works in collaboration with, with their um, partner, will be receiving those vaccines within the next week or two. That's, that's Could I say course, uh, something here? Jackson got the distribution separate and apart from the state. So one of five hospitals. And they started the rollout through a network of hospitals. So it was Jackson plus the other hospitals in uh, these health systems. And that was specifically for the healthcare workers. It was not for the general population or the public. Good point. Yes, yeah. right. exactly. And that's probably, Mayor, why you even held that that workshop for all of the uh, the CEOs right. of all of the facilities, hospitals, and all of the mayors for us to to make sure that even though we're in Monroe County, that we're still getting the help we need. Absolutely. You know, um, Mayor Daniela, I wanted to ask you, the governor was in town on Monday to um, announce a funding infusion for this came Bay yes, and, and yes. Everglades restoration. But uh, clearly everyone's mind was also on vaccines and also on COVID, especially because there was a contingent of city mayors who had complained that they were not able to get a hold of the governor, you among them, and then there you are face to face and you you use that opportunity um, to what? What did you ask him about? She is the not shy, and <laughs> that's why she's there. What did What did he say? He seemed to be pretty conciliatory. He seemed to want to compromise and work work out things. But yet, he's preventing local governments from from doing a lot of mitigation efforts that they want to do. What What did he say to you? Well, you know, we did talk about the vaccine particularly because he was just about to roll it out and his priorities, which are different maybe than some other states. So that was a very important conversation. Uh, you know, look, we are we are moving forward with the protection plan that we have in place. And uh, Mayor Geller similarly has uh, launched something over the holiday season. And I've got 34 cities. They all signed on to collectively work on the existing orders uh, that were promulgated by Mayor Jimenez and in, in large part have been continued as I've been in the office. So we do have masking, social distancing, uh, curfew, all of that is in place. And uh, we can't collect fines, but we issue civil citations and uh, we educate the public. 
Look, the most important thing is for people to understand that they are the tip of the spear. Each of us is potentially a carrier. We must wear the masks, distance ourselves and so on. And so I launched this campaign, We Can, We Will, which has been very successful at getting people to do the right thing. So and, we and will, right show. yeah, we um, we got to take a quick commercial break, but we're going to take a deep dive into those mitigation efforts and the messaging and the curfews, etc. When we come right back, stay tuned. We are back with Miami-Dade Mayor Daniela Levine-Cava, Broward Mayor Steve Geller, Monroe County Mayor Michelle Kolier, mayoral mayhem at the moment, uh, talking about all things COVID. Let's talk about the mitigation efforts that the county's trying to do. Steve Geller in Broward, um, the, the curfew is under debate now. A federal court actually shut down the uh, ability for the Broward to shut down uh, Broward's restaurants and bars in a curfew after midnight. And so the curfew, Not exactly. well, okay, I'm, I'm going to let you talk about curfew is midnight there, midnight Miami-Dade, none in Monroe except for Key West coming up on New Year's Eve. I mean, what, what's going on with the curfew? Why is this such a focus of mitigation? Um, we know that when people are drinking, that they tend to get less careless about wearing masks. I, we've seen uh, videos of a bar, one well-known bar in Broward, uh, where everybody was congregating together. Um, nobody was wearing masks. And when I spoke with the bar owner there, he said, well, we tried to get people to wear masks. One of the bar owners, I should say. We tried to get people to wear masks. and." After they had a couple of drinks in them, they refused, actually used quite more graphic language in that. Um, so the fact is that we know that when people have had a number of drinks in them, they're less likely to social distance. They're less likely to be careful and wear their masks, particularly when they're not eating, particularly late at night. So there was a federal judge that struck down uh, Broward County's uh, prohibition on serving alcohol or food after midnight. Now, that it was regulating the bars. We have done an emergency short-term nine-day curfew that is not regulating bars. It's regulating people. This one says that nobody may be out um, after midnight except for Christmas Eve and New Year's Eve, which we gave until one o'clock. It's only for nine days. This is because we're expecting 940,000 visitors into Broward County during that 14-day uh, uh, Christmas New Year holiday. Understood, I, and that's a fair point, but you, you talk about drinking and letting guard down. Michelle Coldiron, there is no curfew in Monroe. The timing of it is, People drink around the clock during the holidays, and the, the timing is really what my question is. I mean, where is the science behind a curfew? And are, are you asking that, Glenna, of me, or are you asking that take, of Mayor Take it away. Yeah. You're, you're, you're the county with I your, can answer that, but let me well, let Mayor Well, Monroe is the first. county with no curfew, so I'm interested to hear about that. 
So the Monroe County, we consider ourselves a little different than than the rest of the counties. And um, I know that Key West has a curfew that they've implemented from New Year's Eve through the weekend at 10 p.m. And I believe they did that because of the density issues that they have on Duval Street and the attractions that they have. The rest of the keys were spread out more, more laid back, and the county at this point did not feel it was necessary to implement a, a curfew. But let me say this, we have very strict ordinances in place to protect our residents and our visitors alike, and that includes our mask mandate, where you must have a mask with you at all times. And if you're outside and you cannot socially distance, you are required to wear your mask. We are asking that you do all of the, the safety precautions of washing your hands and socially distancing. And not only that, but Monroe County, our Monroe County International Airport, is the first airport in the state of Florida to have purchased this fancy robot that um, can produce an ultraviolet light and kill germs. And this robot is out in the airport every night and for two hours, it is doing a sweep of the airport to kill 99% of the COVID virus. Well, that's so interesting. Will you, uh, will you send us some video of that? I don't think we've seen that yet. That's pretty interesting. <laughs> I would love to. It is a fascinating. It's <laughs> six foot tall, 300 pounds, and it is keeping the uh, airport clean of the germs, which will protect our residents and our visitors alike. Well, Daniela, that's um, that's some science. I, I still haven't really heard what the science behind the curfew is. Uh, Miami yes, Bay's I'll, curfews I'll at midnight. What, what is that yes. science? So uh, Carlos Magoya, the uh, CEO at Jackson, uh, tells us that when the curfew went into effect, cases did go down. And uh, it's for the reasons that Mayor Geller says the uh, and it's true, people drink all the time, yes, but it's not true that they are packed into nightclubs and um, at all hours of the day and night. Uh, the business model is late into the night and early hours of the morning. And we just know from the footage that we've seen that unfortunately in those settings, uh, people are not taking the proper precautions. So these are potentially super spreader venues. Uh, and really, you don't want to be in a in a closed environment with people who may be contagious, who might not know it, and uh, breathing the same air. You want to be outdoors. That is really our big message in the We Can, We Will campaign. We are experiencing the most gorgeous weather. We have incredible parks, beaches, uh, outdoor cultural venues, outdoor venues. These are the places that we want to be safe. Um, you know, we were talking, uh, I was talking uh, about Haiti. Why is it that Haiti has a relatively lower rate of infection? And I was told all Haitian restaurants really are outdoors. You know, they're all in the open air. So a lot of the congregation places are out, outside. And I think we just have to really try to help people uh, find their better angels and help them to do, uh, you know, what is going to protect the, the general public, especially the holiday season. We're yeah. expecting a very big surge in January. And so far, we've been able to keep the numbers flat. Uh, you know, it's gone up since Thanksgiving, but not at the same rate. Uh, that really causes extraordinary alarm. So this is because people are doing the right thing. 
Yeah, I think you know and I listen to everybody. We're gonna we we have to take a break, but I just I just want to put like a capstone on this about personal responsibility. I think is what I hear all three of you saying. But when we come back, we're gonna look to the Absolutely. future a little bit, especially with relief ending for so many South Floridians. So sit tight. We'll be right back. We're back with all South Florida's county mayors, Steve Geller from Broward. Let's start with you for this segment because I really wanted to talk about uh, what we began the show with, this expiring federal aid. Uh, not only are cities and counties not involved in this trench of aid, but in Broward, in Miami-Dade, in Monroe County, there are people hurting whose unemployment federally is about to end. What is the counties, and all the counties I want to hear from, but what is uh, Broward County doing to sort of protect and mitigate its residents from what's about to happen? Well, we're doing what we can. We really do need federal aid. Um, the There's been a lot of people that have been asking for a long time now for aid to the counties, the cities, and the states. And all three are going to have huge uh, deficits. We have done what we can in Broward with our CARES Act money. Uh, we have, have trying, we have a little bit of it left, and we're trying to help as many people as we can, but we will be in desperate need of federal aid. Michelle Coldiron in the Keys, some of the highest rents in Florida, really, people struggle on a good day to pay for housing. Uh, what's the situation with that? That's a good question. And like uh, Mayor Geller, we are using our CARE Fund money and we did earmark a majority of the millions that we received for rental assistance and um, are, are getting those funds out to the people who need them. We're also, we gave a, a portion of the funds that we received to our not-for-profit organizations as well so that residents can go to some of the other charitable organizations for additional help. We've, um, and I can't name every one of the angels and not-for-profit groups that have conducted food drives, but they have been up and down the county and making sure that our residents not only have rental assistance, but also have food and also the holiday angels that delivered gifts to over 500 families in Monroe that, that needed toys for the holidays. Mayor Daniela, we, uh, I'm just going to pick up on something that the Monroe mayor just talked about. The first uh, tranche, what do you call those, big load of CARES money for the cities and counties. Uh, in Miami-Dade, some of the cities have not spent all of it yet. Uh, that deadline is coming up. But because there's none in the next round, set the scene for us, if you will. I mean, you have to spend what you already have, but you're not getting any more. Uh, we've watched the food lines. We report on them every day. We talk about the eviction moratorium that people are so afraid is coming up. Uh, the deadline for that is going to go away. In Miami-Dade, how is that money that you haven't spent yet, what is the consequence for that? What And what's the plan for that? Yeah, so we're not going to send any money back to Washington. We will be sweeping whatever is not spent in the um, numerous programs that were created also for the cities. We'll be keeping that money to cover the costs of having provided special care during this time. Um, many, many county departments and personnel were involved, and that is really critical for our future deficit to try to mitigate that. 
But having said that, the cities are working hard in the county with the cities to get the money into the city, the hands of city residents and to the city coffers for the services that were provided. And uh, we're very hopeful that all of that money will get out. The uh, bill that we're hopeful will pass now, the uh, federal aid package would include an extension. And I believe that everyone would want to be sure that the city was able to, to spend all of that, that money. Um, that to be said, we're not letting anything go back to Washington and we're praying and working hard to get more uh, for all the reasons that you said. I wanna clarify, there is the federal moratorium through the CDC for those affected by COVID. But in Miami-Dade County, the, um, the evictions do not happen because the mayor as sheriff has uh, directed police not to issue the, not, not to effectuate the writs of possession. So that is something that is an additional protection. But we also need to think about our landlords. And we did have a program to help our landlords and in any new CARES dollars, we're gonna to continue to make sure that uh, everybody is able to pay their bills, not be on the streets uh, and uh, pay their bills. And by the way, it's critical for county revenues as well. So we're all in this together. Yeah. Uh, Mayor but Geller I want to say one quick thing that uh, also, uh, Mayor and I want to ask you, and I want to ask you about the the sheriff there, if if that's a, a similar mandate not to effectuate the evacu um, the evictions. I'm sorry. Whatever, whatever you'd like to share with us, go ahead. But I also want you to weigh in on whether the Broward sheriff and the plan to hold off on on going in and evicting people when that when and if those orders ever come to pass. I, I, I don't know about that. In Dade County, uh, the sheriff is answerable to the county, is not uh, constitutionally elected. In Broward County, the sheriff is elected separately and does not answer to the county commission. What I just want to tell you is uh, one of the biggest things, and Mayor Kodiron touched on that, is we're going to be seeing real hunger throughout South Florida. Um, feeding South Florida is the major feeding organization. They've done a great job, but they are running out of food. Most of the food banks are running out of food and money. And if there's not an infusion, people are going to be going hungry. Broward County is going to be doing what we can to assist with feeding South Florida. But I am yeah. most concerned about real hunger and threat South Florida. Yeah. So, Glenna, let me mention that we have had the highest increase in poverty since the days that they started measuring it. So this is nationwide a, a real tragedy in the making. Of course, and in fact, uh, Feeding South Florida's CEO Paco Velez was with us a few weeks ago saying just that. Last word, Michelle Coldiron, in the 15 seconds we have left, what would you, uh, are you going to assure the rest of us you're not going to close off the keys again anytime soon? <laughs> I, I am. The checkpoint in, in my estimation is not going to be set up again. And I just ask everyone to please stay the course. The vaccine is here. There is light at the end of this tunnel. Take personal responsibility to take care of yourselves so we can see you soon. It is so much fun to have all three county mayors with us today, marking this date as a first. Daniela Levine-Cava, Steve Geller, Michelle Coldiron. Have a wonderful new year, and thank you so much. Thank you. Take care. Thank you, and up next, you've heard from the counties, at least one South Florida city government is clapping back Bye -bye. on curfew regulations and mandates. Fort Lauderdale's city manager is with us next. Stay tuned.
County is built to the edge of the Everglades, but its downtown heartbeat is the Oceanside city of Fort Lauderdale, where city leaders are openly opposing the county curfew meant to quell the spread of coronavirus. The city mayor called it draconian. Fort Lauderdale's day-to-day -day operations are run by the city manager, and that is Chris Lagerbloom. And guess who here with us via Skype today? Chris Lagerbloom, good morning. Good afternoon, I guess I should say at this point. Good Great afternoon. How are you? So you, uh, you heard the county mayor's discussion. I want to make sure you were able to hear that. I did. Yeah, I did. So, you know, they set up a pretty compelling, well, a, a compelling argument for why there is a curfew in place, why it's temporary and personal responsibility. Let me get your reaction to that. Yeah, so those are all very, very good points. Uh, we as a city just happen to have a differing view as to what is lawful and what's not based upon the different orders that are out there. Um, <clears throat> that's certainly not to say that we haven't taken uh, a very uh, strict and, 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 and positive, proactive enforcement posture in the community uh, to make sure that people are doing the right thing. We just don't know that right now that a, a curfew is something that, uh, that can be lawfully uh, administered. Well, explain, though, what kind of enforcement you're able to do when Governor DeSantis pretty much precluded any local governments from enforcing anything having to do with what he has banned. Yeah, so we found ourselves to be really good ambassadors, and we really had to take that pivot and, and turn it into a positive interaction with our community uh, as opposed to a punitive or, or negative one. Um, we've really, you know, beefed up our code enforcement group to go out and, and, and really become one with the community. We all, at the end of this, have to come out of it uh, as, as a city and come out of it together. So we've, we've taken that encouragement posture rather than uh, the enforcement and punitive posture. Well, that's that's interesting because people have been getting these messages. People have been uh, urged to wear masks, urged to social distance really since last March. So how does that work now if for some people it hasn't happened since then? You know, 99 out of 100 people that we uh, that we interact with are, are very positive and uh, people generally at this point uh, know what it takes to get through this pandemic and get to the other side. And, and we've really found that there's been some good community interactions with our with our staff. We take it from a position of, of being encouraging rather than being uh, being punitive. And, and we've, we've had some pretty good success. All right. So let's talk punitive for a moment. So the state has really taken away the ability for local governments to fine for any kind of infraction when it comes to a curfew or anything you know like that. So. Um, Steve Geller, the county mayor, Broward County mayor, says, well, we're going to levy those fines, and when the order expires, we're going to go and collect them. So since Fort Lauderdale is a, in Broward County, how, how are you handling that in the city? Yeah, so I don't know that there's any big payday at the end of, of this pandemic that we uh, would allow fines to accrue and all of a sudden think that at some point they would be paid. Um, you know, a fine in the moment is, is maybe something that can generate compliance, but there's also other ways to generate compliance. Uh, so we've taken the, the other posture, which is to, again, be encouraging and, and be a part of the community. It's not an us, them. We're all weathering this together, and, uh, and we want to be um, as engaged with our community as, as, as anybody else does uh, so that, we, uh, you know, that we, we get that outcome that we want and we can get past this pandemic and, and get back to normal. 
You know, it strikes me that the 2020 slogan is going to be, we're all in this together. <laughs> I want to ask you, um, Chris Lagerblum, about the, we talked about the vaccine distribution, still at a stage when it's frontliners uh, and elderly people. But I know you had sort of gotten the ball rolling for some of the testing sites in the city right now to be vaccination distribution centers. Uh, do you find that that's going to be possible? How far along in that are you? Yeah, we look forward to it being a possibility. We uh, very quickly offered up our two testing sites as vaccine distribution points. Um, we stand ready to move mountains if we need to, uh, to allow that to start to happen. Uh, right now, that's driven by the Department of Health in Broward and, and at the state level. Um, but we, like we came out early on and said we would, we would open up our testing sites but we'd do it this afternoon if that became the plan. So uh, everything's still ready to go. Any plans on how to get your first responders vaccinated? So our first responders started to be vaccinated last week uh, with our EMS first responders. And we hope in the next couple of weeks that that will also pivot to our police officers and that we will uh, uh, have those vaccines started in both our, our police and, and, and fire department. Well, that's interesting news. How, how are you doing that since that's not part of the executive order from the governor? So our, our fire uh, was authorized to start uh, uh, vaccinations last Tuesday. And, uh, you know, they, they started to go through that process. And we have at least preliminary indication that the first week of January, our, our police officers will be authorized to start the, the vaccines. And, uh, and we look forward to them uh, going ahead and, and, do, and doing that. You know, in the short time we have together, I know a lot of people are know that you are looking for a new police chief. Um, and we, we've sort of on the back burner with COVID stopped talking about the protests uh, having to do with racial injustice during the summer. And, and I think that sort of got started as the ball rolling and that's how the police chief uh, was removed from that position by you and fill us in on how that search for a new police chief from Fort Lauderdale for Fort Lauderdale is going right now. Yeah, so it's ongoing, and uh, that's certainly one of the biggest decisions I will make as the city manager in Fort Lauderdale as to who is to be our next police chief. Um, we've started to interview people. We've uh, engaged with professionals from around the nation and, and locally as well, and uh, I look forward to hope uh, to, to bringing that appointment forward soon. Um, again, I've, I've got to get that one right, and uh, I've told yeah. that to the community. I've told that to the department and also to... Uh, our elected officials. So uh, we'll I'd rather be right than fast. And, yeah. and, and that's where we're going with that. We'll certainly be in touch with you about that. And so appreciate your time. Chris Lagerbloom, city manager for Fort Lauderdale. Happy New Year to you. Thanks for being with us. Happy, happy New Year. Thank you. And when we come back, a hopeful look ahead to the new year from some familiar faces. Stay tuned. From all of us here, we want to thank you for sharing your time with us today and always. And we end the year with a toast to hope and resilience. And we leave you with some very special messages sent in for all of us from our South Florida members of Congress, special for us today. Hi, it's Ted Deutsch. I'm wishing you all the best for a happy and healthy new year as we welcome in 2021. We look forward to having the opportunity to get back together in person safely as a community. Happy New Year. My hope for our community in 2021 is that no child will go hungry, that our seniors will feel safe, that our restaurants will again be filled with laughter, 
and that all of our frontline workers, our heroes, will feel our appreciation and our community will continue to have a big heart. After this extremely challenging 2020, I'm predicting a healthier, more secure, and more harmonious 2021. My resolution for this new year is to do all I can to make that a reality for the people I represent, my family and friends throughout our wonderful South Florida community. Best wishes for health, unity, and happiness in the new year.